Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Enthusiasm, optimism, focus on fiscal stimulus, the latest from the fiscal stimulus talks. We check in with two leading lawmakers all throughout the program, including Congressman Tom Reed, the other co-chairman, Republican co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, and Senator Bob Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania. A lot to get through. Breaking news, headlines crossing the Bloomberg Terminal. President-elect Joe Biden holding an event with governors, and he says he does not think a fiscal relief package will happen Today, Meanwhile, back on Capitol Hill, congressional leaders are rushing to finalize the package in time to attach it to a crucial government spending legislation and pass by the end of the week. The virus-related measure are expected to be worth nearly $900 billion. We've got sound on that fiscal stimulus. Here's the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell. We made major headway toward hammering out a targeted pandemic relief package that would be able to pass both chambers with bipartisan majorities. Meanwhile, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer asked about whether or not Democrats are abandoning their commitment for additional allocations for state and local governments. Here's what he had to say. The Democrats would have liked to go considerably further, but this won't be the last time Congress speaks on COVID relief. We also heard the Fed chairman, Jay Powell, speak earlier today, and he said the central bank will continue to buy government bonds to help the economy and do whatever it takes to prevent a massive economic downturn in the midst of the pandemic. Everything we do is in service to our public mission. We are committed to using our full range of tools to support the economy and to help assure that the recovery from this difficult period will be as robust as possible. Stephen Dennis joins us now, Bloomberg Congress reporter. Stephen, when do you anticipate we're going to get the word of that deal? It looks like there's a decent chance we're going to get a deal uh, tonight and maybe uh, the actual text of the deal a little bit later. You know, the, the problem is, is when you're trying to put together a multi, probably a multi-thousand page bill, and sort of the get-out-of-town bill for the entire Congress, because every every member of Congress wants to leave town on those jets and come back January 3rd for the next Congress. Well, it's really hard to do that when you have every single person wanting to have one last inserted bill or nugget or Christmas tree ornament added to this thing. So uh, that's what they're sort of vetting, all, all these little details. And the thing is, is it's all going to be done behind closed doors. So until you actually see the text, you know, even if somebody says something is in or out, you have to double and triple check. And so that, I think that's mainly what's going on. There, there are st- still, like, little sticking points that are going to come up on, uh, as, the, as you actually, you know, as the Democratic staffers, the Republican staffers are in rooms trading paper to, to work it out. Um, but, you know, the, the, the broad outlines seem to be pretty well set, about $900 billion dollars. Uh, no direct state and local aid for, like, their general fund. 
and no liability protections for corporations, leaving those issues for the future. And with that extra $160 billion, they can have those direct checks for people. Stephen Dennis, uh, Bloomberg Congress reporter, I want to zero in on the issue of liability protections. You say they leave it open for a later date. Unpackage that for me. Yeah, so Mitch McConnell, for months, basically since like April, has insisted that the next time they they passed the COVID relief bill, he would not allow it on the Senate floor unless it had these liability protections. He relented on that about a week ago and said, hey, let's just kick this, you know, kick the can on this and on state and local aid. They're too, com- they're too complex or too controversial to work out in the next week. Let's, let's go ahead and pass something without something that the Democrats want, which is the state and local aid and something that the Republicans want, which is these liability protections. You know, there's a lot of corporations that want these liability protections. There are universities that want liability protections, you know, doctors and and, and so on. What this means is that uh, the Biden administration, Democrats, will have some leverage to get some Republican votes potentially next year for another COVID relief package. Mitch McConnell's already said that, you know, he expects um, Biden will seek another package. So, you know, I think that, that there is going to be leverage here because these things aren't done now. Um, and in the meantime, it means it looks like uh, folks are going to get another check. Now, because Republicans are unhappy with spending over a trillion dollars, they want to keep it under $900 billion. Looks like those checks will be more like six or $700 a person instead of the $1,200 that the Democrats wanted, that the president wanted, that, that was in that first uh, stimulus package. That still, you know, potentially could, could shift here. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is on the Senate floor trying to get it up to 1200 uh, Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, also wanting $1,200 checks. Um, so we'll see how, how that all ends up. I mean, if they, if they decided to go with $1,200 checks, this thing would very quickly top a trillion dollars. So meanwhile, in terms of the politics of this, I was struck by this headline on our TikTok on the terminal. Uh, McConnell told GOP that deal could help in Georgia. The relief bill may have implications for the still unsettled fight for control of the Senate. McConnell told Republican senators on a private call Wednesday that passage will help Republican senators David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, who, of course, faced the January 5th runoffs. Bloomberg congressional reporter Stephen Dennis is that true in the sense that the Republicans feel this will help them in the peach state? Yeah, I mean, the, everything really rests on those two Georgia Senate seats. You know, it, it'll determine whether or not Democrats have control and Biden gets to hit the ground running and get quick confirmations of his cabinet picks and maybe pass some sweeping Democrat-only bills. Well, if Mitch McConnell's in charge, he has to ask Mitch McConnell for every confirmation to be scheduled. He has to ask Mitch McConnell to schedule a vote on any piece of his legislation. Uh, that's an incredibly weak position for a new president to be in. You know, you'd have to go back a long time to find a president who hasn't come in with at least some uh, Senate majority um, to be able to move some kind of an agenda. And, and COVID relief is part of that. And, and so it really will affect a lot of those other things. Now, right now, in those Georgia Senate runoffs, um, David Perdue, Senators David Perdue and Kelly Law, for the two Republicans, are being pummeled by John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, the Democrats, for failing to get any COVID relief done in the last six months, for failing to get more checks out to people mm-hmm. uh, and, and everything else. And so, if, as Mitch McConnell's trying to whip up support for this package so that he can get the Republicans behind it, something that he's negotiating. Uh, It doesn't hurt him to say, hey, look, if you guys want to be chairman next year and have your bills moved next year, we need to reelect Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, and that means we need to pass this and make the voters in Georgia more happy and more likely to vote for them. Who won, Speaker Pelosi or Leader McConnell, in this stare-down? You know, it's kind of hard to say because Pelosi could have gotten more money before the election at one point. Uh, she and uh, the Trump administration were talking about a package closer to $2 trillion. She absolutely could have gotten more money then. But, you know, from her perspective, I don't know how, how she would have viewed that because 
what if that package had passed and Trump would have been or could have been reelected? That would have been much, probably much worse for, from her perspective. But see, I got to jump in here because the exit poll suggests that the, the fiscal stimulus was not an issue uh, in in the and that this is fascinating and we're Monday quarterbacking and I get it but but the the that it wasn't an issue so I mean that right there she could have gotten two trillion dollars and now she's getting nine hundred billion sounds like a win for Leader McConnell thirty seconds I think that you know from if you're just talking about this bill dollars and cents she definitely could have gotten more but if that twelve hundred dollar check a second twelve hundred dollar check had showed up two weeks before the election one week mm, before the election true signed by Donald Trump. Yeah. Who knows? The election Who knows? Was decided by, you know, 100,000 votes in four states or something like that. 100,000 votes, four states, and $2 trillion. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll Stephen never know. Dennis, Bloomberg Congress reporter. Excellent reporting, my friend, and I'm so appreciative for you joining this and breaking us uh, all down for us. Much more coming up next. We check in on Fed Chairman Jay Powell. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent of $2 trillion Stimulus Talks. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The heart is a blue. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for uh, Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Beautiful day by you two on what is a very damp and dreary day here in the nation's capital. But if you ever need to pick me up, turn on that song uh, because it's the best. It's one of my all-time favorite albums off of All That You Can't Leave Behind, which just happens to be the theme song that Christine Barada let me pick for this program, which is Elevation. Uh, let's check in on what happened in the markets today because the Federal Reserve strengthened its commitment to support the U.S. economy, promising to maintain its massive asset purchase program until it sees substantial further progress in employment and inflation at their final meeting of a tumultuous year. Policymakers led by Fed Chairman Jay Powell earlier today voted to maintain monthly bond purchases of at least $120 billion and scrapped their previous pledge to keep buying, quote, over coming months, end quote. Reading in my Bloomberg terminal from Craig Torres and Rich Miller. Let's take a listen again to what Fed Chairman Jay Powell had to say, because we've got sound on the specifics of what he wants to do uh, with the mon- with uh, monetary policy. Here he is. Everything we do is in service to our public mission. We are committed to using our full range of tools to support the economy and to help assure that the recovery from this difficult period will be as robust as possible. Thomas Hogan is a senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. He is also the former chief economist for the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, the all-important Senate Banking Committee. Thomas, thrilled to have you here. What did you make of Fed Chairman Jay Powell's remarks today? Well, I think Powell made two important points. Um, one of them was that they, the FOMC is committed to a long period of accommodative monetary policy. Um, they're planning to keep the Fed funds target near zero through 2023, which is longer than they had previously said. And they're trying to remain expansive until inflation picks up to 2% or higher and they're reaching maximum employment. So that's basically what they said before, but a longer period. And then the second thing that is the one that you mentioned, that they're planning to maintain the rate of open market purchases at about $120 billion per month. Um, I think some people in the market wanted to see a little bit more, but 
Powell said that the FOMC sees the risks as basically broadly balanced at this time, but they could do more if conditions warrant. So what impact is that going to have, especially when there's so much um, likely fiscal stimulus coming uh, and uh, that Congress is going to pass? I mean, how does that how does that combined impact what the central bank is, is doing? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a mixed message here. I mean, we we did see that markets kind of picked up right around the time that Powell was talking and then flattened out a little bit. But I think the message is a little bit strange because on one hand, he's saying, well, we're not going to be doing a lot more accommodative monetary policy. We're not going to increase what we're doing. And so people might take a negative from that. But on the other hand, he's saying, look, things are, are doing very well right now. Um, and the economy has largely bounced back from the position that we were in just a few months ago. And so that's a very positive message um, that people could take away from this announcement. Meanwhile, the fiscal stimulus, and I loved this blog post that, that you read. It's a, it's a really wonky read, which is what we love on Bloomberg <laughs> Sound On. It says, not all government spending is stimulus. And in this piece, you write, some fiscal policies encourage people not to work and produce. One example is when the government increases benefit payments to the unemployed. Such payments might marginally increase consumption by those receiving the funds, but the direct effect is to discourage people who are out of work from finding a new job. Relief payments, you go on to say, can be vital to helping the recipients through these difficult economic times, especially when government restrictions force people to stay at home or prevent businesses from operating. I bring this up because our my colleague, uh, Stephen Dennis, our Bloomberg Congress reporter, uh, just mentioned a fascinating pair of strange political bedfellows, as they're known in the, right. in the Beltway. Senators Josh Hawley, a Republican, and Bernie Sanders. Uh, everyone knows Bernie, right? Uh, and they've been pushing for there to be $1,200 stimulus checks. It's not likely that that's going to end up in the final bill. But I wanted to get your analysis of a Republican getting on board with that and with Senator Bernie Sanders, nonetheless, in an incredibly politicized, polarized time, but also in the midst of a horrific pandemic. Well, I, I'm, I'm not surprised at that. And I think that a lot of people right now would like to see um, some fiscal policy and, and some kind of checks or support system. I just don't think that we should be calling that stimulus. I mean, those are relief policies that are going to help Americans that are out of work, and especially for people in states where there are some serious lockdowns and they can't get a job even if they wanted to. Um, that money can be vital to them to make it through this difficult time. I just don't think we should call it stimulus because, you know, those and other policies, especially things like increasing unemployment benefits, um, those are good for when we're entering a downturn to prevent the economy from falling too far, but they're not good at getting us back to a normally thriving economy because they, you know, prevent people from going back to work. And so, you know, I think those policies can be very beneficial, and I'm not see, not surprised to see people from both parties calling for that. I just think we should call it relief and not stimulus. You know, I think that's so fascinating right now, folks. I mean, what you just heard from Thomas Hogan, senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research and the former chief economist for the Senate Banking Committee under, uh, form, er, under Crapo, right, or Johnson? Who, who did you serve under? Senator Shelby of Alabama. Shelby, Senator Shelby, who would always grab me in the hallways and say, listen up, you, yeah, I'm fa I can run faster than you. That's what he would always tell me. He was kidding. I don't want to get him in trouble. Um, but, uh, but it's fascinating right there because that's really the debate that the Republican Party is going to have to have, this issue of, of relief versus stimulus. And already – Already, they are starting to have that, especially as an incoming administration uh, gets ready to take control. And we're all eagerly awaiting the result of the Georgia runoff. Thomas, let's switch gears now and go geopolitical, because so much of the market data coming out of China, for example, has been incredibly positive. And that's caused a lot of the Western world to, to be incredibly skeptical at what the Communist Party of China is in fact doing. And, and, and I'm curious, as America comes out of this economic elements of the pandemic, what do you think the relationship with China will be like in the next couple of years on the economic front? Well, Trump was lar largely uh, critical of trade with China and talk to, try to demonize China, and I think, you know, partly because of his domestic policy of, of 
you know, trying to encourage some nationalistic tendencies. He wanted to kind of make them uh, the enemy a little bit. Um, but I hope that we'll, con- I, th- I hope that we'll actually get back to a continued trade with China, and that's you know good for the economy and good f- good for most Americans. I think the the problem at least in the short run that we're going to be facing still you know the most pressing thing that we're facing right now is that a lot of the states are still locked down and you know people can't get out and have a regular job and get back to work um, and so that's going to be the, the biggest question going forward is you know how can we um, how long is it going to be before some of these states can open up and get get people working and back to a normal economy and you know th- that's really the biggest question mark uh, Chair Powell talked about today as being one of the biggest issues and one of the biggest unknowns. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that we should be you know, most concerned about and looking at. Really smart analysis. And I encourage everyone, if you're uh, looking for some analysis uh, from the American Institute for Economic Research, to check out the articles that uh, Thomas Hogan has published on there, particularly uh, important on a day like today where the Fed is so much in focus. Thomas is a senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research and the former chief economist for the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Coming up, we check in with Congressman Tom Reed, a Republican from New York, co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, as well as Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. No space to win in this town. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for physical stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Optimism, enthusiasm, and focus on fiscal stimulus talks. We've got two of the leading lawmakers on the conversation joining me this hour. Congressman Tom Reed, co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, a Republican from New York, and Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. We're going to talk all things fiscal stimulus as Leader McConnell inches closer towards a deal. A lot to get through, plus the Fed Chairman Jay Powell weighing in on monetary policy. Breaking news just within the last half hour, headlines crossing my Bloomberg terminal. President-elect Joe Biden telling governors on a virtual conference that he does not anticipate the fiscal stimulus deal will be reached tonight. However, we could get some type of text released based upon other independent reports sometime within the next 12 hours. They are down to the wire, and we've got sound on the fiscal stimulus coming from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier today. We made major headway toward hammering out a targeted pandemic relief package that would be able to pass both chambers with bipartisan majorities. On the issues of two particular thorny 
issues that have really presented hurdles for Republicans and Democrats, liability protections for Republicans and state and local funding for the Democrats. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says there might be another opportunity to hammer out those details with the new incoming administration. The Democrats would have liked to go considerably further, but this won't be the last time Congress speaks on COVID relief. And Fed Chairman Jay Powell says that the central bank will continue to buy government bonds to help the economy during the economic downturn as a result of the pandemic. He spoke earlier today. Everything we do is in service to our public mission. We are committed to using our full range of tools to support the economy and to help assure that the recovery from this difficult period will be as robust as possible. Kristen Hahn is a Democratic strategist, a senior advisor at Rock Solutions, and former Blue Dog Coalition communications director. Eli Yokley is a senior reporter covering politics at the Morning Consult. Kristen, I'll start with you. Here we have it, that they're inching closer to a deal. The, the, the flanks of both respected parties not getting particularly what they wanted. The centrists really driving the path forward for consensus building. Are they going to have more political capital in an incoming administration as a result of what could be a win for them with this round of stimulus? Yeah, I, I think so, and here's why. Um, I was actually looking very closely, uh, I think it was last week, just like last year, when the senators and the members of Congress in, in the House came together and did their round of press and talked about their package that they put together. This has happened on various issues in years past. But what you didn't see before was members of leadership expressing support in public for those efforts. Um, so I think, you know, in, in, a, in a government that's going to be as tightly divided as this, with a very narrow, um, you know, uh, Democratic majority in the House and, and a tightly divided Senate, the centrists are going to be the ones, I think, who are going to be able to come together. They've demonstrated, and I think you'll see a COVID relief package, hopefully, by Friday night in the House that reflects a lot of what was in their negotiations and their, their final package. So. I think this is what we'll see going forward. Um, you know, if, if the Democrats don't win both seats, and even if they do, Republicans and Democrats are going to have to come together functionally to get anything done, um, anything of, of consequence done in the next Congress. So um, I, for me, hopefully it's a sign of things to come. Eli Yokely, there was a, a report out earlier on the Bloomberg terminal that said Leader McConnell spoke to his Republican counterparts and said passing fiscal stimulus would help Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue in reelection battles on the Georgia runoff on January 5th. Does that mesh with what the polls have gleaned over at the Morning Consult? Well, we, we, in our polling nationally on the Morning Consult, we have seen that um, passing COVID relief is incredibly popular with Democrats and with Republicans. I mean, you have seven in 10 Republicans saying that a COVID economic stimulus uh, should be a top priority for Congress. Um, not much divide between the two parties on that. Um, whenever you talk to strategists down in Georgia, um, even before um, some of the campaign has has taken off down there, um, they, have, they have talked a lot about this idea that um, maybe Mitch McConnell is incentivized to get something like this done um, for them to be able to go campaign on. Um, the pandemic is still happening despite the fact that we've got Senate runoffs down there. And, um, you know, sending a couple $600 checks to, to voters is not a uh, unpopular move. Definitely not. And it's why you've seen such strange political bedfellows in the course of these negotiations when Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican, is joining with Senator Bernie Sanders and giving uh, can, uh, uh, essentially the same floor speech with regards to, to urging for there to be uh, more than $1,000 worth of checks. Now, that's likely, based on my own reporting, not going to end up in the final version of this bill. But still, you've got Holly and Sanders out there pushing for additional relief in terms of, uh, of, terms of the stimulus checks. Let me, uh, Kristen Hahn, I mean, that right there, I think, illustrates sort of the frustration that some of the rank-and-file members and the non-leadership members have with regards to the pace of this negotiation. But to your point, do you think that that pace is only going to intensify in a Biden administration if the centrists are able to counter the Freedom Caucus, counter the Democratic far left of the party and, and with, the, with the massive Twitter followings and, and such? 
Yeah, I think you know, you've got some political calculations that both McConnell and Speaker Pelosi are going to make going forward. I think Leader McConnell is um, going to be hard-pressed to do anything um, that's not, that he doesn't see as politically advantageous to his members who are up for re-election in 2022. The House, um, I think you can... You know, the speaker has always said, come to me with ideas and show me that there's bipartisan support and we could find a path um, if it's something that, you know, she wants to move forward. So, you know, I think, you know, having these members who are regularly they're empowered right now, uh, members of the New Democrat Coalition, the Blue Dog Coalition, the Problem Solvers Caucus, they're going to continue to come together. They they found success here with the COVID negotiations. Um, I think that they'll be uh, emboldened. To, to present ideas outside of the leadership um, and where they yeah. can gain traction with some of the senators that stuff to move forward. Kristen, let me follow up on this with you because, I mean, you you know the 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 centrist Democratic movement better than anyone just because you previously worked as the comms director for the Blue Dog Coalition. I mean, is one of the frustrations that they don't have, and, and I say this respectfully, but they don't have a star. They don't have some, a centrist with star power who can, you know, have the massive viral moment and uh, of, of politicians that uh, that we all know of. Is, is that, has that, does that frustrate them? look at it quite differently you have like your twitter stars and people that can gain followings like um alexandria ocasio cortez but when you really look at the how the the caucus functions um you have people like congresswoman stephanie murphy from florida uh, who Mm. has led the blue dog coalition and she's very effective within the caucus um she works across the aisle she works within the democratic leadership she goes to the leadership she says look i've got these votes you can't take this to the floor or I've got this compromise, you can bring this yeah. to the floor. She's also a member of Ways and Means. So, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying about the national star power, um, but, but I do think that there's something there. Yeah. Let's, we should get Congresswoman Murphy on. Uh, coming up, we check in with the co-chairman of the Problem Solvers Caucus, Tom Reed, Republican from New York. That's next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We're still awaiting the details of that fiscal stimulus relief bill, but the foundation of this bipartisan proposal in an incredibly polarized time comes from a group of 50 bipartisan lawmakers, the co-chairman of which is my next guest. His name is Congressman Tom Reed. He is a Republican from the state of New York. Congressman, thanks for joining us. I know you're eagerly awaiting leadership's final uh, uh, version of this bill. But first things first, how did you get to this? Well, first of all, Kevin, thanks for having us on and me on. And uh, the Problem Solvers Caucus is that group of bipartisan members that are proud Republicans and proud Democrats, but Americans first. And what we did is uh, we, we deployed our model where we stay in the room, we listen to each other, uh, we get in passionate disagreements, we may engage in some rhetoric at times, but at the end of the day, we stay in the room, listen to each other, and that's where this $900 billion plus or minus, that $908 billion deal that everyone's seen publicly with legislative text that uh, we we stood with our Senate friends and the $748 billion of it is the base foundation, as you said, uh, of this deal that we're anticipating uh, voting on here Friday, hopefully, um, that gets this done for the American people. So in, in terms of Republicans not being able to get liability protections, uh, that concerns a lot of small business owners. Can you just get into the weeds for us and get incredibly nerdy and wonky and specific about what exactly is going to be in there? Because that's one of the things that the small business community is particularly worried about, that they'll allow for people to come back to work, but that, you know, heaven forbid someone con con contact with COVID-19, that they would be on the hook for it and it could be a legal quagmire in addition to the health concerns. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why uh, we were saddened that we could not finish uh, getting the uh, liability reform measures put in place with the 
a combination of state and local aid and tribal government aid. But, you know, what we did is we, we laid the framework upon which the framework of that discussion advanced tremendously. And what you're getting into the weeds on is, you know, what is the standard of care that we will ap- apply for those that acted in good faith uh, during the pandemic? And, you know, we're looking at a gross negligence standard. And I think there's wide acceptance that on both sides of the aisle that the good faith actors, the small business owners that took the measures, did what they could, uh, given the dynamic of the pandemic period, uh, where they didn't know what the standards were. This is a virus. This is Mother Nature throwing a curveball at us. They should get some protection. But on the Republican side, there was also a recognition, I think, in, as we were talking about this coming to an agreement, was, you know, but there's still bad actors out there, and they don't. we don't want to allow those that are using COVID-19 and the pandemic as, as cover for the pretext of engaging in bad actions and bad actors. So if you're, if you're just being egregious and you're, 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 you're violating your position of trust and you're using COVID as a way to kind of give yourself cover for bad actions, um, that, that needs to be worked out. And we advanced the ball on, that, uh, uh, on that, uh, that front. And then get beyond the negligence cases. And I think there's broad recognition. Workers' comp is going to take care of, you know, 80% of these cases when it comes to the employer-employee relationship. So you do have a question about independent contractors. You have a question about, you know, what are you going to do uh, for the other liabilities that are out there for things like civil rights, OSHA violations? You know, what were people doing during the course? But the same principle, if you apply it um, to this situation, can be uh, applied. And then finally, you had the whole issue of, you know, having one standard across the country to deal with this and preempting state laws, which gets into some very weedy, in-the-detailed debates of, as a Republican, I'm a proud state rights guy, but you know, we're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with a crisis. We're dealing with a natural disaster. In my, in my humble opinion, this is appropriate to have a one standard uh, across the entire nation and preempt uh, for the period of the pandemic uh, the states to have conflicting standards. And that's huge policy. That's a huge philosophical difference to uh, bridge often um, uh, when you're working out these issues. Congressman Tom Reed's with us. He is a Republican uh, representing the uh, district in New York, Corning, is where he is the uh, former mayor of, on the border, really, of uh, my state of Pennsylvania and and New York. Uh, Let me ask you a follow-up on this point of liability protections. Do you think you'll have another go at it when President-elect Biden is sworn in and his leader McConnell has forecasted uh, they're anticipating another round of negotiations on stimulus front uh, in a Biden administration? Do you think liability protection, because it's been a dot, dot, dot policy, that that could be an oper- a, a moment of leverage for Republicans in the next negotiations? Yeah, I mean, you're going to still have to take care of state and local aid, and you're, you're going to have to take care of this liability question, because go one step further if you really want to get into the weeds on this issue. And you know, look at what's coming down the pipeline, potentially. You've got liability policies uh, that are going to potentially be able to disclaim coverage, uh, not only for the indemnification, covering those judgments that businesses get against them, but the defense obligations that go with those liability. But I'm sure you've got small business owners there that purchase liability policies under the belief, you know, they're going to provide an attorney for me. They're also going to cover the judgment that comes against me. But because we saw, like, in the business interrupt- interruption loss uh, environment, you, you, you see the carriers disclaim. You see them disclaim potentially under the liability policies. So now these businesses aren't going to have insurance coverage. And that causes a whole other ripple effect to the economy and to the nation uh, that needs to be dealt with. If people start realizing they're not going to have an attorney as they, because uh, the insurance carrier disclaims because this was a pandemic, this was an act of God, this was a natural disaster that's not, not covered by the policy, like people have talked about during the business interruption loss period, where, where folks are more maybe acquainted with that, familiar with it, we got that same problem on the horizon. So you got you got some big issues that are out there, and this is not this is this is not about protecting uh, big business interests. This is this is really about protecting our country. This is about protecting those small businesses that are hanging on by a thread. The restaurants, the you know, the, as I always call it, the ice cream shop type of owner, or just the the small retail guy who's just trying to do the right thing, the, right, the lady who's just the entrepreneur, just trying to do the right thing, and now is going to be left holding the bag. And so we're going to have to deal with it at Congress. It's not going away. And the problem doesn't get better with age. It gets worse. Congressman, I mean, level with me here. Do you think that the Problem Solvers Caucus has more leverage as a result, one, of this policy win, and, and two, with the Biden administration? 
because it would appear that you have cracked the code of consensus bipartisan building and that your group, uh, and you and Congressman Gottheimer have actually, and, and the senators, the bipartisan senators, have cracked the code. We've got like 40 seconds left. But do you think you have more political leverage? Uh, it's not about the president. By age. The Problem Solvers Caucus has matured. It's a mile deep. We have the fortitude to do what needs to be done. And then also with the tighter majority in the Congress and the House yeah. and Senate, that is the thing. That is going to give us yeah. the leverage. Like Lombardi says, people who work together will win. Congressman Tom Reed, appreciate the time. Republican from New York. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next with Senator Bob Casey. This is Bloomberg 99.1. I'm in heaven and the cares that hung around me. Oh, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. If you're just joining us, headlines crossing the Bloomberg Terminal. President-elect Joe Biden says he does not anticipate that a fiscal stimulus deal will be reached this evening, but the details, according to independent reports, suggest we might get some type of a framework agreement, if not by tonight, then by tomorrow, as the clock continues to tick down to the deadline when lawmakers have to get to some type of consensus ahead of that omnibus deadline this Friday. We want to welcome to the program Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania who has been at the forefront of these bipartisan negotiations. Senator, thank you for joining us. What can you tell us about the timeline for reaching an agreement? Hey, Kevin, great to be with you. And it's great to be with a Pennsylvania. That's when yes. I, we always go. remind you that when I see you. Yeah, I know. Um, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think I have a a fixed sense of when they will conclude the negotiations. But uh, really good progress has been made. I think part of that was part of the impetus for that, and the fact that uh, Majority Leader McConnell is actually in the room, at least virtually, um, <laughs> is because of the work done by the a group of bipartisan senators who, who worked very hard over the course of a number of weeks. So that, that in, in large measure, I think, is the predicate of what they're working on. There'll be differences and changes in dollar amounts and, and, and some policy, too. But um, I would be surprised if we didn't have, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have a, at least an agreement in principle, or, or the, I should say they, the, the, the five individuals in the room and their teams. Um, if we, they did, if, I'd be surprised if they did not have an agreement in principle. Um you know, sometime in the next 24 hours. I hope it's hope it's sooner. You know, I was struck by this, and I was reading uh, the Trib uh, earlier uh, today, and, and and seeing that you were talking uh, at a local event in Pennsylvania, and and you were talking to some of the the many folks who are in dire need of economic relief, and they need it now. What specifically are you pushing for, Senator, in this package that you think could make an immediate contribution to, to the lives of Americans who, through no fault of their own, have been absolutely pummeled by the pandemic? Well, the good news is that we're at a stage now where there's a, a series of categories, uh, you know, or I, I'd say priorities in, in in categorical fashion that are being addressed. I don't think people realize that uh, for really since May, when you when you think of May, June, July, August, September, all through the fall, uh, Majority Leader McConnell would consider uh, very few, if any, of these priorities, just a small number of them. And now uh, to have, have the, the prospect of having a bill that will cover maybe at least 15 categories, maybe maybe more, is a real breakthrough, whether it's, you know, so I would not, not this is not exclusive, but I certainly include small business, unemployment assistance, uh, food assistance uh, in the nutrition programs, number four, education, five, student loans, six, vaccine distribution. And then the one that I've been putting a lot of time into, nursing homes. We live in a country where because of a pandemic and, a, and, a, and an often pathetic federal government response to the pandemic, over 110,000 Americans died in nursing homes or long-term care settings. And the death numbers were, of course, residents, 
combined with workers. But when you have the resident deaths, uh, these are mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. They fought our wars. They worked in our factories. They taught our children. They built the greatest country in the world, and we didn't do enough to protect them, we the federal government. And uh, I haven't heard the president say a word about nursing homes all these months, maybe not even a not even more than two sentences about this tragedy within the larger tragedy. It got worse in a report that, that I did with Ron Wyden a couple of weeks ago, yeah. where in, in the month of November, more than 15 nursing home residents died per hour. Uh. And this is just one month we're talking about, November, and we're only talking about nursing home residents. We're not talking about all long-term care. We're not talking about workers with that, just residents. Wow. Uh, who died in nursing homes. So this bill will will um, provide dollars um, to help nursing homes do a lot better job and, and frankly, demand more of them. Senator, uh, but we've got to help them. We can't Senator, just point a finger at them. Senator Bob Casey's yeah. with us. He is a Democrat from Pennsylvania. Uh, quickly, before I ask you more policy, who should start for the Eagles, Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz? I think at this stage you got to go with Hurts. He's, I could not agree with you more. Different. Some dynamism, some excitement. I, I think we we want to win too. I yes. Okay, back to policy. You are a you are the ranking member on the subcommittee of international trade, customs, and global competitiveness. As we as the incoming administration and President Biden take over, uh, and and Secretary likely Secretary of State Tony Blinken takes over, and the team that they are all assembling, um, Yellen at Treasury, Janet Yellen at Treasury, and the likes. What are you going to be looking for, Senator, in terms of the geopolitics from an international trade perspective on the relationship with China? Well, first of all, I think what I'm going to do is continue my work uh, in, in various ways to, to put in place strategies to counter China's aggression. Um, there's no, no, no question that, that on any given day— um, we uh, engage with China in a very productive way, but we also are at odds with them on a lot. And, and it's a, I like to describe it as a, a relationship of confrontational engagement. And we can't, we can't gloss over the confrontational part. They are, they are a, a, an economic adversary. And uh, if, if we don't uh, have, a, have an aggressive posture towards China, um, they they will continue to to uh, gain an advantage over and, and and put our workers at a at a disadvantage. You know, I always say, said it a thousand not a thousand times, but certainly a few hundred times. When China cheats, Pennsylvania workers lose jobs. So I want yep. the administration to continue or to uh, to put in place policies that match the statements made in the campaign about China. You- that, that, we have how, to be aggressive. How do you make sure, Senator, that the tariffs don't hurt Delco, that the tariffs don't hurt Scranton in terms of when you're when you're trying to make sure that Americans uh, just get a fair deal on the geopolitical uh, playing field? How do you balance that? Well, I think, t- look, tariffs are, are one one tool They're, they They can often be a blunt instrument, but. But I, look, a, a lot of this is using every tool in the toolbox, not not just um, n- not just aggressive action, but diplomacy. Diplomacy, which which is uh, good diplomacy, is always hard-headed. It's not it's not uh, it's not soft. It's hard-headed, and it demands something of the other side. Also, I think we've got to be we've got to counter China when when they uh, go after our intellectual property. Yep. especially if you know in the United States academic research institutions we should be aggressive uh, in that regard I, I'm working on legislation as well um, to to make sure that we don't we don't have this uh, total dependence upon upon China for certain uh, uh, critically important uh, uh, goods that we need or, or or frankly in the midst of a pandemic that we're not Dependent upon China for personal protective equipment, yeah. uh, critical capabilities as, as, as the term of art. We can't. We, you know, we, we've got to be able to make our own PPE, not be dependent upon China. And and I think that's true in, in other other areas of our economy as well.
Senator Casey, please come back on and uh, and talk about that bill uh, once you propose it, because it's it's so incredibly important the the critical infrastructure uh, and that is diversified internationally. And obviously, the pandemic has exposed, unfortunately, so much of that dependency, not just on China but on other parts of the world as well. Senator Casey, you heard it here, folks. He wants Jalen Hurts to start for my birds. I agree. What can I say? Senator Bob Casey, Democrat from Pennsylvania. Much more coming up next with the panel. What's on their radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. The Cirilli chili is in the slow cooker. It's been in there since last night. Perfect day for it. The weather agrees with me. The snow, the rain, the sleet. Who knows? Be careful out there on those roads. Panel's still with me. Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, partner at Rock Solutions and former Blue Dog Coalition communications director i apologize Kristen, <laughs> for saying rock the way that i do it but i cannot help it i just i told myself i, I wouldn't do it in the a it. block but we just did our two interviews and i'm and i'm off uh to the races but i'll rein it back in congrats on the promotion you're really rocking it <laughs> <laughs> eli yokely senior oh, reporter covering politics at morning consult it's time now for my favorite part of the program which is what is on the panel's radar. Eli, I'm going to assign you yours because the polls that you guys have out on the year-end polls over at the Morning Consult are really fascinating. And if you're a nerd, they're really fun to look at about what's stuck and what news stories stuck. So we've got plenty of time to unpack this poll that you guys sent my way for the year-end analysis on, on what stories really stuck. Well, thanks, Kevin. For the last couple of years, we've been doing this project called Seen Red Herd at Morning Consult. And we look at um, what news sort of penetrates the minds of voters at the time? We asked them how much, uh, if they've heard a lot about various stories. And, you know, going through this project, you remember a bunch of stuff that you kind of forget. Like at the beginning of the year, we almost went to war with Iran and uh, impeachment kind of hung over to the year. Um, and so it's always fun to look back on sort of what This is out. fascinating to me because we were talking about this, Christine Barada and I and our, and our producer, Matt Shirley. We were talking about all of the things that happened before the pandemic this year alone. You just mentioned Iran. You mentioned impeachment. Remember the Iowa caucuses and, and the debacle yeah. the, and, and the, the glitch that, that happened. I remember that. I mean, so many different news stories. And what the Morning Consult did, folks, is it's called Seen, Read, Heard 2020. So really unpack this because you guys asked 100,000 registered voters how much they'd seen, read, or heard about more than 370 different current events. They, they, they've they been doing it in 2018 and 2019. And in the big picture, what were some of the biggest stories that jumped out that maybe we all forgot about this year? Uh, but got a lot of attention. Well, one of the bigger ones that, um, honest to God, I forgot about was the Australian wildfires in January. Like six and ten wow. voters heard a lot about that at the time. Um, the biggest news event of the year by far was the death of Kobe Bryant um, in a helicopter wow. crash in California. Um, 
about 75% of voters heard about it in the immediate aftermath. Um, look, um, the, we've kind of broke down the year into things like the uh, politics, pandemic, protests, some of the big themes that stuck out throughout the year. Um, one of the bigger things that, that stuck out in the summertime was the uh, killing of George Floyd. People knew a lot about that. Um, you know, more people actually heard about on the election front um, Trump's refusal to concede than Joe Biden's um, victory um, on, in, in November. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic. Um, you know, look, voters were paying attention to it early on. They knew about it in in January when um, the first uh, cases were reported in the, in the country. And, uh, and then it turned out one of the bigger events was, um, you know, the CARES Act passing, uh, the pandemic being declared the national emergency. But, you know, we see a lot, and this is something we've seen for the last few years, um, a lot of notable partisan divides. And just frankly, Democrats are more likely to hear about the kind of news that we're thinking about here in Washington than Republicans are. I mean, there's a 33-point spread on the number of Republican, Democrats and Republicans who heard that Trump wouldn't commit to leaving office, um, about a 3 and 10 spread and the stand-back and stand-by comments about the Proud Boys. In fact, the only event on the top of our list that um, garnered more Republican attention was Trump's State of the Union address. Um, wow. Republicans were more likely to hear about things like the Hunter Biden scandals, the Tara Reid issues that were being pressed on conservative media. And, you know, other polling we've done suggests that might um, be exasperated over the next few years. Um, you know, Donald Trump has spent a lot of time since the election attacking Fox News and where uh, a pretty good base of Republicans get their information. We've seen Fox News' favorability drop like 15, 13, 15 points um, since the election as he presses folks to look elsewhere and so to maybe uphold the integrity of this segment about what we're watching um kevin um you know i'm going to be thinking a lot about uh, whether donald trump is able to to um dampen the, the the hold that fox news has among among conservative viewers and and sort of expand these news bubbles that we um as americans find ourselves in over the next year i think year it's interesting and in just this this uh <clears throat> seen read and heard 2020 from the morning consult 75 percent of their uh, pollster, uh, people that they polled uh, heard about the news of Kobe Bryant's death. Only 58% of people polled heard about Trump's acquittal from the impe uh, from impeachment in the Senate and the death of RBG. And 58% for, for, of people polled heard about that as well. So I, it's fascinating to see what breaks through and what doesn't. Um, and and so many and it's it's also fascinating to to kind of look back and be like that happened this year that happened this year, as well. Uh, great stuff from the morning consult on this. It's it's a really fascinating look back on so many of the different news stories and what's stuck. Uh, uh, Kristen Hahn, what's on your radar? Well, I mean, first of all, as a Texan, I kind of want to come over and have a chili cook off. Oh, I'm right sure now. you would win. So, but well. sort of, actually, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm going to be humble. I, I, I enjoy. Listen, I, 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 the more chili, the better. So if you want to make <laughs> chili, true. I'll eat it. You true. can eat Cerilli chili anytime. <laughs> I, you know, Cerilli food. There, there's always room at the table, right? <laughs> right. But I'm not afraid yeah. to eat alone. Am I right? You understand. Go ahead, Kristen. <laughs> yes. No. Um. You know, I. In all seriousness, I think you know. As this pandemic, you know, continues to rage, um, you know, the federal government, we talk about what the federal government's doing, but I think we, as people who live in each of our communities across the country, really have a responsibility, and I've been lucky enough to work from home um, and be okay, but a lot of people are not, and I live in Washington, D.C., and so I've been looking for organizations to to get involved with, and one um, that I'd just like to highlight in Washington um, in Street Village is, you know, they do such great work with women, um, you know, helping them live a high quality of life, dealing with everything from income, employment, you know, physical health, addiction recovery, mental health, and a, and a lot of these things people are obviously dealing with right now uh, as as we're all kind of in the, still in, in the midst of this pandemic. So I'd just like to, to put a shout out to this this organization that's doing such good and uh, meaningful work in the nation's capital, which a lot of times, you know, we see, you think of Washington, D.C., and people call it the swamp, but it's really a community of people um, who are coming together to help each other 
um, survive this just like everybody else is all throughout the country. So that, you know, that I, is what I'm thinking about. You know, I think that's a good thing to think about, especially this time of year. And, and, and you know, I, I, you're right. I mean, one of the things I like to think that drew so many of us into this town is the optimism of, of making a positive impact on the part of a broader team. So that's some good uh some good analysis, some needed analysis on this cold, dark, dreary day in, uh, in in the nation's capital. But there's a vaccine now. There is a vaccine now. Here's what's on my radar that we haven't had enough time to talk about because of the fiscal stimulus talks, but the breach of a larger campaign that included hack of FireEye. In one of the most audacious hacks in recent memory, U.S. government agencies were attacked as part of a global campaign that exploited a flaw in software updates of a U.S. company. The hackers are suspected to be part of a notorious hacking group tied to the Russian government. This first reported by the Washington Post. It included breaches at the Treasury Department, the Commerce Department, and those of other government agencies in an attack that started months ago, according to the Post. The same hacking group is also believed to be behind the recent attack on the cybersecurity firm FireEye. My colleagues Kurt Wagner of Bloomberg Technology and Ben Brody uh, who, of course, both of whom have been on this program, just really doing incredible reporting on that front as well. Uh, my thanks to the panel, Eli Yokely, Kristen Hahn, Senator Casey, Congressman Reed. Tomorrow we check in uh, with more. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.